remember watching, uh, reading an interview, sorry, with uh, Mark Newson, and he said that as a designer, you're constantly angry because you're looking at things. It doesn't matter what they are. It could be a pencil. It could be a car could be a, uh, a tennis racket, whatever, but you look at it and you're, you're, you're constantly kind of evaluating why is it like that? Why is it that way? There is a better way. I always think there's a better way and I think that good design um, can really enhance people's quality of life. That was Hamish Grace, founder of the brand Hinoki. Hinoki is known for its S1 Guto chef's knife, a modern take on a Gyuto, which is a Japanese-designed all-purpose chef's knife. This 24-year-old from Melbourne is using design to rebel against today's throwaway consumer culture. One Gyuto at a time. For those who haven't seen the S1 Gyuto, it is one sleek-looking knife. Its black carbon blade is forged in Japan, while its handle comes in the options of American walnut, European oak, or the very elegant charred black walnut, giving the Guto a sexy black-on-black -black look. It's no surprise that the knife has been receiving a lot of attention on the internet. On one hand, it's a really beautiful knife. It's artisanally made, it's aesthetically pleasing, and of course, there's the cool Hinoki brand around it. On the other hand, you may question why one would need the S1 Guto. The Japanese knife trend has been going strong for many years now, with foreign companies jumping on the bandwagon. They're exporting Japanese knives or selling Japanese-inspired knives that aren't actually made in Japan. So if you're a purist, it's hard to see how this fine-tuned craft could benefit from Western influence. Do we really need another foreign brand that thinks it can improve on the Japanese knife? It's easy to be skeptical, but what I came to learn was that Hinoki is not just a knife brand. The S1 Guto is just the first of a collection of 30 perfect items. This project was created out of Hamish's desire to balance out the instant gratification of his work in the digital world with something on the opposite end of the spectrum, something tangible that can't be rushed. The word Hinoki comes from the name of a sacred Japanese cypress tree. It's a type of wood that holds significance in Japan, a country that has become a source of inspiration for Hamish, and where his story begins. I, I always had this concept in mind of creating kind of 30 perfect things that people need in their life. Um, and that started to form during that first trip to Japan and meeting with uh, these different craftsmen or shokunen, um, as they call them in Japan, and seeing the, the various products that they create. But not always um, not always having the outlet to kind of get them out of Japan. Um, it can be very insular in that sense. And I didn't really see a brand in the space that was building kind of a lifestyle around it or really elevating um, that experience. So that kind of set me on the path to to want to define this core collection of essentials that I think everyone kind of needs in their life to, to enhance their day-to-day. -day. Hinoki's mission isn't just about selling 30 beautifully designed products. There's more to the story. Whether it's clothes, accessories, or gadgets, we live in a culture where we're encouraged to buy more and more. Most products are not built to last. 
So we don't think twice when we discard them to make room for newer models or just more things. And thanks to the internet and cheap delivery, this purchasing cycle has never been easier. Hamish believes that there's something wrong with this picture. I don't believe in this kind of um, ephemeral throwaway culture, which, which more and more we're, I think the, we're moving towards. The way that I view Hinoki is one of our goals is to really kind of harken back to this time of you bought one thing and you bought it for the long term. Um, you didn't buy it with this um, planned obsolescence in mind. Um, and that is very much, if you, if you look at the, the old culture of Japan, it's very much you buy quality and it will last you your lifetime. Buying products that will last you a lifetime seems almost impossible in this day and age. It's not just craftsmanship and quality that has gone down. It's the fact that many products, as Hamish mentioned, are designed to break down after a certain time period. It's a strategy to increase long-term sales, because if you never had to replace anything, you'd never need to shop. It wasn't always like this, but can you remember the last time you actually got something repaired? That's why Hinoki also offers a renewal service for its customers. For example, owners of the S1 Guto can get their knives sharpened by Hinoki's in-house master, who has almost 40 years experience in restoring knives. So the renewal service will uh, be paired with every product that we create where relevant. So for example, if we uh, make ceramics going forward, um, we will offer a service like Kitsugi, which is the Japanese art of repairing uh, broken glass and ceramics with mounted gold. Um, and it goes back to this, to this wabi-sabi idea of there is kind of beauty and imperfection. To me, the kind of the ultimate luxury is something that can be repaired. And I've always believed in that, especially when we put so much hard work into every product that we that we realize um, I, and, and fundamentally our goal is to create products that kind of transcend time and that can be um, handed down generation by generation. It's important to us that our customers know that they always have that, uh, that we always have that commitment to every product that we send out into the world and that they can always come back to us um, for that support. Our need for fast and cheap consumption isn't just an ideological problem, we're creating waste. This is yet another issue Hamish tries to tackle with the project. We strive for the elimination of waste in terms of our supply chain and how we manufacture products. So um, to give you a specific example, with all the excess uh, steel remnants that, that will come out during the sharpening process, um, we then mount that back down and shape it back into forms which can be combined to, which can be kind of reintroduced um, to the future manufacturing processes. So we can use that excess steel to um, make new blades. Another way that Hinoki challenges consumer culture is by donating a portion of proceeds to Food for Soul, an organization that does something completely different to Hinoki, yet their missions are aligned. Yeah, so Food for Soul will, will be a... Uh, will 
be a project that we will partner with for, for however long Hanoki continues for. Food for Soul is a, uh, an initiative created by Massimo Batuta, renowned uh, Italian chef, but basically um, one of their main, one of their core ethos is again this, this elimination of waste or taking waste and creating something repurposing it and creating something beautiful out of it um, so what they do is they've been setting up almost these missions in various global cities and uh, in Rio I think New York now and in London um, where they will take excess food waste and then working with again some of the world's best chefs Massimo included um, as well as people like Rene Redzepi um, they will take that food food waste and create these beautiful meals for some of the more struggling um, individuals in these cities as well as refugees that are new to these locations um, and give them a good meal and also kind of bring them together over the, the, the dinner table um, to create a kind of shared dialogue um, around food, which is something that we really align with and, and think is something quite noble. Um, so with the through the sale um, of each Hanoki Essential, uh, we make a donation uh, to Food for Soul. All of this may sound like Hamish is romanticizing a time that's gone, an idealized version of the past when everything was made by hand and production was slow, minimal, and ritualistic. But while Hamish does take inspiration from tradition, he's also a forward-thinking man. Hinoki is his way of innovating while respecting craft and heritage. I think that the marriage of tradition and innovation is, is an interesting um, concept. I personally think that the two are interlinked and I think the best innovation um, is at a minimum informed by what precedes it. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, so to speak. And again, I, I also think that tradition alone is not enough. And if you are blessed to, um, to have access to these kind of intergenerational skills and this, this know-how um, and a high highly skilled uh, workforce that possess this information. You need, to, you need to continue to push for new possibilities and innovate, or eventually you, you kind of run the risk of becoming irrelevant or the world can kind of move on. The real magic is when the two both complement each other and there's a, real, there's a real meeting of them. Take the S1 Guto. Rather than simply exporting a Japanese-made knife and slapping on a brand around it, Hinoki takes it a couple of steps further. They work with a bladesmith who forges the blades in Sakai, an area near Osaka that's well known for this particular craft. The blades are then shipped to Adelaide, Australia, where a woodworker hand carves the handles. Hamish describes what this woodworker does to elevate the knife. He's quite rare in that he's originally from New Zealand, but he works with Japanese and Scandinavian technique. So when I say Japanese technique in terms of how he works with wood, uh, there's an ancient technique uh, by the name of Shosugi. So that's basically where you take um, the raw wood and then char it with fire and then wash it down with oil and water repeatedly. And eventually that um, that finishes the wood in this deep black. Uh, but it's not also it's not just uh, for aesthetics. Um, it's it also reinforces the wood and protects it against rot. 
As Hinoki rolls out the rest of the 30 perfect items, this process of combining tradition and innovation will continue to lead the design of their products. Um, so it's a real symphony of creation uh, and manufacturing, but essentially once we, once we arrive at the product or the category that we want to focus on, um, I work with my partner who is a, who's a renowned architect um, based here in Melbourne. And from there, it's, uh, we really engage with the, who we see as being kind of the end user for this product um, and really try to understand through a process of trial and error um, to find out kind of what they want and what, the, what a perfect interpretation of that product may be, as close as humanly possible to perfect, I guess. And, and once we once we go through those motions and we have those insights, um, we set out to to create the the final design. And then the the next step to that is really going to places like Sakai and like Adelaide and wherever else we think we may be able to find kind of aligned um, manufacturing partners uh, to to realize that design. So in the case of the knife, it was through multiple trips to Sakai um, and meetings with, with various types of craftsmen and, and sharpeners to really find someone that kind of um, understood our vision for Hinoki and what we wanted to achieve that could then go out and realize it. Creating these well-thought-out, high-quality items doesn't come without its challenges. This business heavily relies on craftsmen who can come from very traditional cultures, and that can be problematic when you're trying to innovate. I asked Hamish what hurdles he faces when it comes to production. Oh my goodness, um, there, there have been many. Uh, but again, I think it's just the nature of the, the cultures uh, that I'm trying to work within. I think inherently craftsmen are pretty, uh, I shouldn't use the word stubborn, but they're, they're set in their ways and their ways have served them well historically. But I was discussing this with someone the other day that has spent a lot of time working in Japan and similar industries. Um, and I think the point that we came back to was kind of the rigidity of the craft culture there and its unwillingness to change. Um, I, I guess, again, it's both its kind of biggest blessing and its biggest downfall. Um, and at times being foreign and trying to navigate that world can be very difficult um, as it doesn't always welcome outsiders. But um, I'm fortunate to have great partners there who, who get what we are trying to do and realize that for these industries to continue, um, to continue to flourish and attract a new generation, both of people that want to work in those industries and contribute to the craft and of customers. Um, something again, that is, that is a real struggle on the, on the craft side of things, um, that they, that they must innovate and try new approaches. I guess I think about it like tradition alone is not enough. Um, you can't rest on just that. There are also production limitations when your products are solely being made by a few individual craftsmen. It's definitely not the most agile or reliable way to work in today's market, especially in the internet age. Hinoki's production challenges are also exacerbated by the fact that Hinoki is receiving a lot of attention from product blogs. Even though Hinoki almost exclusively sells its products through its own website, they're struggling to keep up with global demand. This may sound like a good problem to have, but Hamish doesn't necessarily agree. 
we've we've essentially sold out of our first uh, batch of blades. Um, again, thanks to the internet, the the brand has been picked up by some of the key kind of product blogs around the around the web. So Remodelista and Gear Patrol, um, as well as soon Monocle and and Uncrate, um, to name a few. So one of the big challenges we've had is is really meeting demand. Um, our process of manufacturing is kind is kind of inherently opposed to to high demand. It's not a process that we can that we can simply speed up uh, to to meet um, this this heightened uh, expectation. So for me, it's kind of been figuring out how we keep our customers happy and try to meet this demand. Um, without sacrificing the, the quality of our products or what makes them special. So where does Hinoki's story go from here? How does a brand that focuses on careful design and high quality small batch production keep the attention of a hyperactive global consumer market that just wants more and wants it fast? The good news is Hamish is in no hurry. After all, Hinoki's mission is to create 30 perfect items, and you can't rush perfection. Our focus is not just knives. Um, we really, we're really trying to tackle um, how people live their lives, and, and the, from our point of view, the, the products that they need to, to live a, a good and um, pleasurable existence. In terms of how that evolves, there is no kind of predefined marketing strategy. The, the collection, the 30 collection is very much, will be very much developed um, spontaneously and only when I can identify craftsmen or partners that I truly align with or where kind of, or wherever my obsessions take me or wherever I, I think I identify a real need. But again, I'm, I think I'm fairly young and this is a project that I hope that is something that I can work on for 10, 20 years. And that's probably potentially how long it will take me to realize these other 29 products. And it's only kind of when the time is right. But I hope that I can look back, um, you know, when I'm 40 and look back to kind of each object and say, hey, I remember where I was at that point. And I remember the relationships I formed and what it took to, to realize um, this object. The Hinoki concept is so simple, yet complicated at the same time. It's a project that's minimalist in output, but has lofty goals and takes pride in its convictions. Why do this the hard way? What is it that Hamish really wants to achieve and give the world with these 30 perfect products? It's that I think, again, we can't afford to lose, uh, to lose sight of what makes us human um, and our traditions and our histories. And if I can kind of connect um, various cultures through this craft and through the creation of these products um, and match those with people in kind of very different parts of the world that may have otherwise not discovered them um, and bring a little bit of, again, pleasure to their lives and, and bring objects into their lives that they cherish. Um, and, and again, really help to make people value um, doing things 
in a considered way um, and and respect the, uh, the craft and the time that goes into things, um, then I think we've, we've achieved our goal. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and more from the world of creative culture and beyond, check them out at makin.com. That's M-A-E-K-A-N dot com. Or search for us on your favorite podcast app.